Thanks for joining Cornerstone for our message of the week. We hope you'll be inspired and encouraged. To connect with our church family and to watch our services live, download our app today by texting Sparks Will Fly as one word, app to 77977. That's Sparks Will Fly app to 77977 or by visiting us online at sparkswillfly.cc. Amen. Feel good in your soul? All right, let's go to Psalms 139. Psalms 139. Um, so guys, if you can get me some uh, deputy keys. Or, well, there we go. We got something. So it seems like it's been a while for me. Uh, Pastor Junior talked for me on Wednesday night. Pastor Chris talked last Sunday. And so we couldn't get nobody to preach for us this Sunday. So I'm here. So... Uh, everybody was busy. I had a guy call me one time that um, had a guy call me one time and he said, um, he said, I really feel like the Lord had me to call you uh, for you to come preach on a Sunday night. And I'd never been to this church and I had a lot of respect for this pastor and leader. I was young. I was maybe 19 or 20 years old. And so I showed up at his church and preached. And then um, Pastor Chris, who preached for us last Sunday, I, I had lunch with him that week and I was sharing with him or whatever. And uh, he said, oh, you went over there and preached? He said, yeah, he called me earlier in the week. He said, but I was busy. <laughs> and then come to, I was like the sixth man on the call list, you know. So it, uh, that, that kind of, uh, I had to pray through that. I had to pray through that wound for, you know, a few weeks. I thought I was God's chosen. I realized, you know, I was way down on the uh, line. But uh, thank God we're here this morning. And um, thank God you're here. And those that are watching online, we just... We just want to get in the Word, and um, I'm probably going to cry because that's just the way I preach from now, you know. And so, uh, but I'm, I feel like the Lord's doing something uh, deep in my heart, and I just want to take you uh, on the journey with me. And so this morning, I, I really, if I would title this, I would title it uh, maybe a reset of focus or finding the path. And um, I feel like that I am kind of... Uh, on a journey and on a path, I don't know where all this is going, but I do know that the Lord is trying to do something uh, deep in my heart. And uh, and so some of this probably began even maybe two years ago. Um, and I may read something that I've been writing some, and I may read something that I wrote along the lines. But I want to go to Psalms 139. There's uh, a couple verses of Scripture. You've heard me read this verse of Scripture. A good bit in here. Maybe pull that down just a little bit, just a little bit. And so, um, you know, let me just share this. I think it was in 1991. I, I'm reading. Uh, I, I, I'm always reading a book, but I've I've repicked up a book. I was listening to someone teach last Monday, and uh, and I was in this class and. Um, he was teaching at this business and there's a bunch of people just around the table listening to him teach on Mondays and um, uh, through through lunch. And I've got a dear friend that invited me into that. And so I've, I've been going and I've been enjoying it. And he mentioned about three books that he puts a lot of people in at the very beginning. And I was like, one of the books, uh, the author is named Jack Frost, not, not Jack Frost on uh, the Santa Claus, but there was a man named Jack Frost uh, that lived, that grew up in Daytona Beach, Florida. And God did a tremendous amount of transformation in this man's life. And I've read his book 
uh, out of son, out of slavery into sonship several times, and um, and he wrote a book called The Father's Embrace, and I repicked that book up. I read that probably I don't know many many years ago, and um, and I've just been challenged by that book this week, and so I'm I'm probably not I'm just going to just share with you out of my heart. It's the only thing I know to do. I don't really have a a sermon. I, I've just got a journey that I just want to invite you where I've been at, and so uh, I picked that book back up and just begin to reread it. And my prayer has been, you know, Lord, please help me. You know, um, that that's just been my been my prayer is just, Lord, please help me. And so, in the book, he gives a, he gives a story of 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 the film in 1991 called Hook. It's a story of uh, Peter Pan. And uh, in the book, uh, in the movie, I did some research on the movie. I haven't I haven't watched it, but I read all the screenplay and stuff like that. And so, uh, in the movie, uh, Peter Pan has grown up. And now he's a successful lawyer living in San Francisco. And he's forgotten who he was. How many knows that, that, that I just feel like, and even when Matt, when he read that, because I was going to get him to read what he sent me that he wrote. And what he wrote was when he shared with you about worship, about Solomon's temple and David's tabernacle. What it was is when we left here and went back over to Ludowisi, there's just a group of people around a swimming pool. There's nothing fancy about this place. And uh, not that they don't have a nice home, but what I'm saying is there's nothing to be attractive in the church world to it. You with me now? But the power of God was just unbelievable over there. And then we were just singing just raw, just, I mean, no great sound, just, just, it's just raw, just coming out of a keyboard and a bass player and just a little gym B, just hitting a gym B, uh, like, you know what I'm saying? But, but the presence of God is just there. So what, so what we must understand that God is after our heart. He's not after style. He's not after, you know, anything fancy. He just wants us. And so in this movie, the story of Peter Pan, he, he's forgotten that he has the ability to fly. He's forgotten who he is because, you know, Peter, Peter Pan, uh, when he was in, uh, what is it, Neverland, that he was in this childlike state of imagination all the time. And I can tell you this, one of the things that religion does is it steals from us our childlikeness in God. It steals from our childlikeness in God. So his children are captured. And one of the things that, his problem is, is he's caught up in all of the busyness of life that he's forgotten who he is. And so uh, this morning, I just want to talk about this restored path, okay? So let's look at Psalms 139. I'll read it. I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation because I love the way that he translates this verse. Notice that he says in Psalms 139, verse 23, he says, God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Notice that he didn't say, I invite you to look at my ministry. Notice that he didn't say, I invite you in to look at my business. I invite you in to look at my accolades. I invite you in to look at my success. I invite you to look at my social media. He said, but I invite you where? Into my heart. Look at this. I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through and find everything, find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift through all my anxious cares. See if there's any path of pain I'm walking on and leading me back to your glorious everlasting ways, the path that brings me back to you. I'm going to read it again. God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift through all my anxious cares and see if there's any path of pain I'm walking on. 
How many knows you can't lead out of pain? We, we've heard this preached before. Hurt people what? Hurt people. So God is trying to get us healed, right? He's trying to get us healed where we can walk into the things that he's, that he's got. So put me to the t- test. Uh, sift through all my anxious cares. See if there's any path of pain I'm walking on. And lead me back to your glorious everlasting ways. The path that brings me back to you. Now, this is something I'm just going back in my journal. I've actually wrote this. I actually wrote this well over a year ago. This almost two years ago. Our lives are a lot like icebergs. Most of us are only, only familiar with what's going on on the surface or the external. Yet there remains so much more that is hidden beneath the surface. And so we were listening, Kevin and I were listening to uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf yesterday, um, a neuroscience, um, a, a daughter of neuroscience, and Chris Valentin quotes her a lot. But what she was talking about is of the thoughts that enter into our mind. Do you realize a lot of times that we operate, most of our, we operate our day on the subconscious level. We're not even aware of what we're thinking. And so she was talking about the power of our thoughts. And one of the things she was talking about is we must, the only way we're going to change the way we think is we've got to learn how to take these thoughts captive, what the Bible teaches in 1 Corinthians 10, and put them in a right place and deal with them. And what she talked about was Jesus going to the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating it out in the Garden of Gethsemane till his will matched the will of the Father. Are you with me now? And so what I've found that most of us, if we was where I've been at is we would spend time on making the best experience you have possible here. Come enjoy our light show. Come enjoy our worship. Come enjoy our preaching. But we have so many people that are attending church on Sunday mornings all across America that are not living transformed lives. So God is more into what's going on beneath the surface than what is on the external. And what we must learn is the external world that you and I are living are coming from internal things that are going on inside of us. As the Bible says that they wandered in their hearts, so did they wander on the external. What was in the internal became visible on the outside. So I've been on this path saying, God, search me. Show me where there's lies that I have embraced. Come on now. Show me where there's things that I've developed and all of these things. And so I believe I'm, I'm going to preach from a ministry standpoint, but but we're all in the same boat. My, some, I just got to go like for me because I carry such a passion for leaders and then... Um, but I'm going to come from a ministry standpoint, but you can apply this from any area of your life, okay? So, Hebrews 3.10, I just quoted this. They wandered in their hearts just like they do with their feet. This scripture ties our inner world with our external world. In other words, what's going on inside of us will manifest on the outside. We heard this when we were little kids. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt us. Words do hurt us. And many of us took words for years. We took words that came from our father. We taught we take words that came from us when we were in school. I had a teacher every day that told me, "Say you're never going to amount to nothing." You know what I'm saying? And and this was a Christian. And I remember when I got saved, she mailed a letter to my house and she said, I can tell you this, I I 100% believe there is a God that He could change your life. How many knows that nobody is beyond reach? And so we come up with these things that sticks and stones may break our bones, but words that never hurt us. many, Many people are held captive by words of the past. And some of the greatest words that have crippled us is the words that were never spoken in the home, that you are loved, you are valued. Come on, somebody. 
All right. So, so true ministry success, when I'm thinking about this, because this applies to the Christian, because growing up in the South, we are wired to do, 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 instead of what the Bible teaches to be, be, be. And because we don't do, 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 we feel like God is displeased with us because we ain't done the list that should have been done. And God doesn't operate on a list. All God wants is my affection and my time and my devotion. He's not looking. God didn't save me to become a preacher. Come on, somebody. He didn't save Matt to become a worship leader. Exodus says, I brought you out to bring you unto my, to, my, to myself. So the only reason why God came to get us is not so that we could do some job for him. Come on, somebody. He brought us out so that we could just hang out with him. He really longs to have our fellowship. That's why he encourages you to sing from the stage. He's a worship leader, not a worship cheerleader. It doesn't become worship until you engage your heart with the song. As we sing it, one day it's better in your courts, Lord. You can sing that all day with your lips and never join your heart to it. But it doesn't become worship until my heart joins into what's coming out of my lips. So I've told you this, that um, before, that so one of the lies that I am trying to tear down and dismantle in my life is something that actually crept in through the years. But just as Matt was talking about how he was taken back when we went over there and it was just that little simple worship. Because I always taught him, Matt's been with me for well over a decade, probably 12, 13 years now. And so one of the things that I always told him is I'm not looking for something polished. I'm looking for something authentic and real. I just read this, I read this letter this weekend and I sent it to Matt. There was this article that was done up and I'm not going to mention a guy's name because we don't rejoice in any failure, but it was a national leader and it was, a, it was um, just extreme amount of exposure upon him. This was, a, this was a church where thousands attended. This was multiple campuses and from the outside looking in, he was the dream coach for every leader. But tremendous amount of failure a uh, tremendous amount of exposures come. And one of the things that I, t- I told Matt out of the whole article that I got is this what he said. He said, I continued to lead out of a place of intimacy, out of a place of emptiness. And, and let me just say this. I think that, that, that there's a major danger when we don't go to a place to be refueled. So it's not about this. It, it literally is about the simple secret place of hanging out with God. Because all ministry, we learned this young, all ministry is simply an overflow of the secret place. But because religion and because of the society we find ourselves in, and everybody wants to be the next Christian celebrity, there is a pressure to keep running well past the place where you have given out. Notice Jesus, when he ministered, he would get alone. Brennan Manning says this, this solitude is the furnace of transformation. We need to learn, we need to relearn a place of solitude. We need to learn how the simple things, cut the TV off, get the people away from me and let me sit down in the presence of God until I can hear his voice afresh. I took some leaders behind my house the other day into the cabin and this leader who is a coach and he began to talk to me. He said, John, the place you're looking to rest, God has placed it behind your house. He said, don't go to your office until you first come here and you sat in the chair and he said, if you ain't heard God by love, 
lunch. You tell them I'm not coming today, but you sit here until you hear the voice of God. Come on, somebody. We've got to shift the priorities in church. It's not about how many people we can run in this building. It's not how big we can build it, but it's about how deep we can get into transformation. So now my, man, I'm, I'm, God help me, Jesus. So I'm going to tell you about my own failures. So when I begin to learn that through people like Lucinda Bassett and things like that, the reason why I was like Asher, he'd be hollering, daddy, daddy, daddy. And, and Catherine had to scream at me and say, John, he's trying to get your attention. Now, I don't want to be an example that he's got to keep hollering and hollering to get his father's attention because I'm a representation of the father. Come on now. So I, I want to I I read this right here. This is something I wrote over two years ago in my own personal journal, and I'm asking God to help me get this. Listen to this. One lie. It's not success unless it is bigger or better. It's not success unless it's bigger or better. But one of the things that I'm not going to highlight him, but I'm so thankful for the relationship and the coaching I get from him is Danny. You go look at him. His business with, with only one man setting up in the third floor. He's got offices that are absent every, I mean, you know what I'm saying? And it almost looks ridiculous. But, but because of the favor and the anointing on his life, he does more than a firm with five stories with every office done. So it doesn't matter about how many you got. Come on, somebody. What it matters is what type of oil is resting on your life. Are you with me now? Does that, is that, the Bible says Joseph being naked sold as a slave, yet he was a successful man. People would not look at that and call that success. What The reason why it says he was successful is the very next part of the verse. It says, for God was with him. If God is with us, we are successful, friend. Come on, somebody. And I've learned God can be with us with three people, with 50 people. He can be with us with 5,000 people. But the deal is, is simply resting and doing what he said and not being moved by some pressure from outside saying you got to build it this way. So a lie that bigger is better. All right. Most of us have been taught to measure by external markers because man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the inner world. God is not moved by our Versace. He don't care if you're in Wranglers. Come on, somebody. Or Versace, he's looking at the inner world. Religion is always focused on the outside. The kingdom is always focused on the inside. This is why David, being a kingdom man, invited his search into the inner chambers of his heart. It's not what you're thinking, but why you're thinking that. Come on, somebody. If you got in a continual thought process, your question shouldn't be, God, your question should be, God, why am I thinking this? Where is it coming from? Why do I always feel like every time I get ahead, I go back? Why do I always feel like the carpet's going to be snatched out from under my feet? Why do I always feel like failure? That is coming from a negative thought process. Now, listen to this. Dr. Carolyn Lee says this. That if you have a thought process, you're doing intermittent fasting, you're fasting 16, 18 hours a day, which is actually really good for you. I, I talked to somebody last week, they fasting 22 hours and eating two hours. I said, man, I thought I was good on my like uh, 18, uh, you know, saying, or whatever, 22 hours, eating two hours. Listen to this. You can fast, intermittent fasting, 
your 16 hours, but you have a thought process that I'm going to go to the gym, which is great to work out if you're fasting. Come on. You may disagree with that, but I'm just telling you, science proves that you get more from your workout if you work out fasting. You will have more energy fasting than you will if you went in there and ate a bunch of protein and didn't go to the gym. You should eat after you leave the gym. Are you with me now? So what she teaches is, let's say this. If I have a thought that I hate this workout, but I'm going to do this workout because I know that I need to, to work out, by the thought processes of you hating to do what you're about to do, you will, you will, you will only reap 20% of the benefits you could have received. Then if you leave there and go eat your organic meal, come on somebody. And because of the thought processes you had in your mind, because of your mind, which is controlling your brain, which is controlling your whole body, come on now. That's what separates the living from the dead is the mind. Because of the negative thoughts, you will only receive 20% of the nutrients and the things into your body from that meal. That's crazy, ain't it, y'all? Huh? So how many knows this? According to Dr. Carolyn Leaf, wherever her research is, and she said this, that people are dying now 15 years younger today than what should be simply because of the mind. We are defeated between the ears, church. I can't get no help. We are defeated between the ears. And the connection between the ears and the heart, the Bible says this, for the Christian, man doesn't think with his mind, man thinks with the heart with the heart. So this is why Jesus goes straight after the heart issues. But see, here's the thing. If we sat down with someone and we said this, man, I've been diagnosed with clinical depression, um, clinical anxiety, and they believe that I'm two-thirds crazy. What do you think is going to happen when you tell your small group that? After you walk out the house and be like, hey, brother, we, we, need, to, we need to talk about this guy right here. I mean, he's unsafe to even be in our environment. Huh? He liable to come in here and shoot us because of the stigma that goes on mental health. Do you know this? Only 3% of the church, only 2% of the church will preach on abortion and only 3% will talk about mental health. And it is killing us in the church. We just need somebody to get us up. This is what Mitch said at Ken's when he was standing up preaching. He said, everybody told me that I needed to bind my thoughts, but nobody told me how to do it. So we got to learn the how-to in the church. Come on now. We got to learn how to take a thought captive. What you do, first of all, is you don't suppress the thoughts. I'm not preaching this today, but you don't suppress the thoughts. We got to get in, like she said, in the Garden of Gethsemane like Jesus did, and we got to sweat it out. You take that thought and you identify, whether it's pain or whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? I've been revisiting my childhood a lot and saying, God, well, yes, this caused me a lot of pain. You deal with that pain. Then you put that thought under what the Word of God says. Come on, somebody. That is not who my heavenly father is. He does not leave me on the sideline. He does not disappoint me. Come on somebody. That is a lie. And then I begin to reprogram my mind in the way I think. Because when he told Joshua to meditate on his word, that word meditate is a, is a, is a powerful verse. It's like a dual bulldozer plowing roads through, through a forest. And so if you like me, I, I got a lot of land clearing that's got to take place. That's why I lost all my hair on the front. My thoughts are not right. All right. So, so we, 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 we pushed this to the church leaders. We allowed them to lead out of emptiness. Don't go get refueled. Just keep it going. 
Numerical growth is what the world equates with power and significance. When we, when we was in the denomination, when we went to camp meeting, the first question you was asked, it's not about how great your prayer life was. It was not where you at with your marriage. It was not where you're at with your finances. Come on, somebody. That is another thing that must be taught in the church because how Jesus taught more on money than he did any subject. Are you with me? So when we go to those meetings, we were asked, how many are you running? Because what they wanted to know was if you ain't running very many people, then you ain't really, you ain't really got nothing, man. There must be something wrong with your gift. You're not gifted. You're not anointed because you're not running a lot of people. If that's the case, then Jesus would not be considered anointed because he had 12. And then he had 70, but a lot of times he cut that number down to three. It was only three that made it up the Mount of Transfiguration. It was only three that was invited into Jairus' house to see his daughter raised. Come on, somebody. So we can't, we, can't measure, we can't measure success by numerical numbers. We miss, and all of this counting is the value the Scripture place on internal markers. Listen to this. Let's read this in John chapter 15. Here's an internal marker. I'm going somewhere with this. Y'all right? He's going to play one of my old school songs right here in just a minute. John 15. Look at this. I, I am the true sprout, sprouting vine, and the farmer who tends the vine is my father. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the, the, the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to the yield of greater harvest. The words I've spoken over you have already cleaned you. So how does the father prune us? Does he prune us like our earthly father did by taking his belt off and beating us down? No, he prunes us by the word that he speaks over our life. Are you with me now? Yesterday, we, we, we took uh, John Bentley and Asher. Um, we had a disagreement. Ben wanted to fish. He wants to fish whether it's raining, whatever. He'd ice fish if, if whatever he had to. I mean, that's just every day he's fishing. And so, but we took him to the jump place. And I'm sitting in the jump place uh, down in Valdosta, and this dad is tussling with his kid. And he's caught me out of the corner of my eye. And now he's tussling real hard with the kid. And then finally the kid goes down, and the dad takes and kicks this kid. And, and now I'm, I'm praying in tongues. And Catherine's sitting there, and she looks at me, and I got tears coming out of my eyes. And I said, Lord, I pray you help this man right here. Because if he kicks this kid one more time, I mean, I'm fishing to be dusty roads on that man right here. Are you with me now? But my heart was breaking because I'm telling you, he doesn't realize the damage that's going to be in that son 20 years from now. So look at this. Look at this. So what we must do is we've got, church, I'm just telling you this. If you don't hear nothing else I'm saying, we've got to take the lies that we believe about Father and pull them off of us. Most Christians call him God. When the first thing, Steve, if you talk to him, he says, I'm a, he said, Father said this, a Father said that. Most of the church don't even know, they pray to Jesus. They don't even pray to the Father. Jesus said, you talk to the Father in my name. We don't pray to Jesus, nor do we pray to Mary. We pray to the Father. What Jesus said is, I came to give you access to the Father. 
Come on now. I came to give you full access to the Father. We don't have to go through the preacher anymore. Come on. Martin Luther tore that down with the 95 Thesis he nailed on the church in Wittenberg, Germany. We don't have to go through a priest. We have access to boldly access this place with the Father. We make our petitions to the Father. He said, pray this, our Father who art in heaven. Our Father. Romans 8, where we've been adopted as sons, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. But the church calls him the man upstairs, Some like it's a long-distance relationship. God is trying to close that chasm with the church that he can be our father, and he's a good father. I know your earthly dad might have made mistakes and messed up, and, and listen to this, and we may have a poor image about us, but we cannot project, project ourselves on God. God is not like us. His ways are higher than us. And the Bible says in Hebrews that God spoke through the language of his son. Everything Jesus did was to reveal his father. He said, Philip, how long must I be with you that you do not recognize the father? Are you with me? So this internal marker here of God being divine, he prunes us through his words. The words I've spoken to you have already cleansed you, so you must remain in life union with me. For I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. I am the sprouting vine, and you are my branches. As you live in union with me, and as your source fruitfulness, as your source fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. If a person is separated from me, he is discarded. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burned. But if you live in life union with me, and if my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire, and it will be done. When your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. Now what? When our lives bear what? Much fruit... We, we put on display that what? We are mature disciples. Where does this fruit come from? From the life union we have with Jesus. Now let me say this. Who do you think is more successful? The person that we look at on the outside that's running a lot of people or this right here? This is where my focus has changed. This is a letter that Jack Frost's daughter wrote as an essay in school that he found. This is what I'm, this is kind of what I'm talking about here. The greatest influence in my life is my daddy. Through him, I have seen the eyes of Jesus and felt his unending love. See, she didn't say, my dad is a comfort speaker. My dad is one of the most high sought out preachers on the earth. She didn't say that my dad flies a private jet. She didn't say that my dad has 20,000 Instagram followers. She said that my dad, when I look in his eyes, I see the eyes of Jesus. Come on, church. Look at this. Just cut that off right for a second, Brown. At one point, not very long ago, my daddy was a man to fear. That could definitely be said about me. Short-tempered. Why? Because daddy's got to get that church to a successful place. 
Because if daddy don't get that church to a successful place, we'll be run off. I remember when uh, Grant was uh, probably eight or nine years old. He was nine years old. We had a pastor that moved from uh, Yakima, Washington. How many knows where Yakima is? If you for me, if you got kids, you know that's where I Carly's granddaddy's from, Yakima, Washington. Huh? I ain't got no I Carly people up in here. Huh? You with me? <laughs> Grant's gonna get mad. He's like I Carly. That's how I know that. You with me? So this little boy, he moves his whole family. The closest family he has that this guy had to, to Jessup, Georgia, was up in Virginia. And so he comes here, moves his family here, whatever, and something happens within the church. They have a meeting without him being there. They packing his stuff up on a U-Haul, and he has nowhere to go. Well, Grant had that, they, they had a little boy that like ball and stuff, so he and Grant were friends, and Catherine run him over there to the church's parsonage to give the little boy an a, a Under Armour hoodie that he had left at our house or whatever. And so when he got back, Grant had, he had this deep concern on his face, and, I, I, and, and so he come in there and he said, he said, Daddy, he said, if the people get mad with you, he said, can they, can they run us off? You know what I'm saying? First of all, I explained to him, Daddy's not held financially to that coffer at the church. So it don't matter if the people got mad. And second of all, the people can't vote daddy out because the people didn't vote daddy in. Come on now. Notice this what he says. At one point, my daddy, long ago, my daddy was a man to fear. He was Captain Bly of the HMS Bounty. Now he is gentle as a lamb. Not to mention just as loving. Through watching my daddy change from being a hard man to being tender, he has influenced me to change. Come on, church. How do we think the massive revival is going to come? Jesus said this. He said, they will, you, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. His new patience has helped me bring me through a very difficult year. Seeing my father love and cherish God like never before has done miracles for me. Instead of referring, referring to God like a holy being, he refers to him as daddy. Now instead of fearing my dad, I crawl up in his lap and I find a very cherished peace. What I cherish most about my father is his smile. I also love the way he sits with me, helps me with my faults in a loving way. Wherever I do something, whenever I do something good, he notices that too. My dad is changing in so many areas. I am so proud of him. Every time he looks at me and smiles, I explode inside with joy. My daddy's been my greatest influence these past four months. I forgive him for being Captain Bly in my early years, I love you, Daddy. Now, what I'm telling you, when I read that, I said, my God, what would my children be able to write to me? Because it is not important how good I preach in this church. What is important is how well I lead behind the closed doors of the house. Come on, somebody. Do I love my wife like Christ loved the church? This is what we're not hearing preached in the church. What we hear in today's celebrity Christian world is build it as big as you can, get noticed by as many people as you can and what does it matter if we have no depth to hold it alright so this place of going deep into my heart learning how to abide in the vine and saying God change me God change me I realize there's some areas that have got to be changed alright 
So in Luke 10, when Jesus sends out the 70, they return with great news of their success. After hearing their story, he turns their focus from success to saying, hey, I know the demons are subject to you. I know you laid hands on the sick. I seen the paraplegics get up, man. As you were out there ministering, I beheld Satan like lightning fall from the ground. But he immediately turns their focus from success back to relationship saying, don't rejoice over that. Rejoice that your name is recorded in the Lamb's book of life. Don't get focused on your success, but bring it back to simple relationship. You all right? All right. The only way I can resist bigger is better is to slow down, develop relationship for deep communion. There's a message that I sent out that Pastor Chris sent me that Damon preached. And he preached this message a couple weeks ago at the Wilderness Society, and he brought out tremendous revelation between Leah and Rachel and Jacob. And this is, this is where Damon, if you, if you follow him and what he's been preaching, but what happened with him is he had this encounter with the Lord, and he was actually backpacking in, in Yellowstone, and he found this white chapel in Yellowstone uh, uh, National Park, and he went inside this for prayer, and as he was communing with the Lord, he just began to weep before God, knowing that two days after that, he was going to stand on the stage to minister to 15,000 people. And he said, God, I would give up everything tomorrow if I could just stand in this place in just deep communion with you. Which is why Damon's living now in the woods of South Carolina. All right. Y'all all right? Okay, listen to this verse of Scripture. This is going to be out of Matthew's translation. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, he said, Come, get away with me, and you will recover your life message. Where? Come, get away with me, and you will recover your life message. So what I found is this. Anytime the anxiety is high, like it has been in my life, anytime worries high in my life, like it has been in my life, anytime fears riding up, what is it? It is the result of I have not slowed down and come to him and found the source of life. I'm leading out of gifting, talent, and gone past the well and haven't stopped to drink to fill the tank back up. Because when the tank is full of love, perfect love casts out all fear. Fear and anxiety and all of these things are like, the, are like the blinking codes in your vehicle saying, hey, you need to change the oil. Hey, the brakes ain't right. You got to slow down. And Brennan Manning said what? Solitude is the furnace of transformation. Lie number two, what I am is more, uh, what I do is more important than who I am. That is not true. What you do is important, but who we are is more important. The love of Jesus in us is the greatest gift we have to give others. Now, let me just go back to this. I'm going to go back to this before I get in this, and I'm going to play a song right here. I'm going to just finish with this. When, when there's a song that I play, and Matt was in my office, and we had a couple of leaders the other, just about maybe a week or so ago, and I turned this song on, and immediately I start crying. I will cry every time I hear it. Right time it comes on, I'm going to start crying. And it is Jason Aldean, how in the Lord. You know, he more anointed than Darlene Check to me right now. 
You know what I'm saying? And I picked Jake up one day, and he was in the back seat of my truck, and I was playing it. And Jake said this. He said, Pastor John, he said, you have saved my life. I said, what is it, buddy? He said, he said uh, Mama told me to quit uh, telling Alexa to play Al Dean. He said, but you playing Al Dean today. That kid's taught me a lot. One night he came to my house, and I gave him a sleeve of Oreos. And he said, Pastor John, he said, I ain't never leaving your church. He ain't never leaving. So I could do a whole church growth seminar right there. All you got to do is give them Oreos. They ain't leaving your church. So the ones that left, we gave them Jesus. I forgot to give them Oreos. Run out. <laughs> so it's a song. Because I felt like the Lord had started asking me about these and, and I was kind of scared and cat getting morbid, like where I was going to be buried, all of these things. I asked Cleve about it one night, and he said, man, I don't know. I ain't thinking about that. And so I just felt like all, all of these things were just being just deposited in my heart. When I go to God in prayer, I mean, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about the last leg of the journey, and I'm only in my 40s. I don't, I don't think I'm, I plan to be on it a while. So... These thoughts were just coming to me. And then when I had not listened to any country music in a long time, and when Grant put the speakers in his truck, he was listening to this song, and I said, man, I really like that song. And I kind of got on to him. I said, man, why don't you listen to praise and worship? He said, Daddy, you know, I, I mean, the worship ain't going to make these speakers go off. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so I started listening to the song by myself. And the more I listened to it, the song just started getting into me. And this is a song that he sings called Small Town. We're proud of the name upon that water tower. And the red dirt on the bottom of our boots. This town runs 30 miles an hour. And it's just about finding a hometown girl and just that, that's good enough. And so then I go back and I remember walking in the woods and I'd secret in my heart, I had preached against like the celebrity rock star deal, all of that. But there had to be something in my heart, listen to me, that I was unaware of. Listen to this statement right here. You are unaware of what you need deliverance from until you get delivered from it. Because we can walk in deception. Listen to this. Matt said, you heard him say, without me giving him that statement, that I did not realize where I was at until the Lord removed that from me coming from back home on that Monday after we got in that worship over there on Sunday night. So he was leading worship totally unaware in his heart that what he was going after was Solomon's tabernacle when God intended him to go after David's tabernacle. So we're not unaware of what we need deliverance from until we get free from it. When freedom comes, you're like, oh my God, I didn't even realize that was there. So I'm walking and God asked me this question. Will you give up your dream of being big? I chuckled. How many knows when God asks you a question, he's not looking for you to answer. He's asking you to question because you don't realize what's there. He said, will you give up your dream of being big? I said, God, I ain't got no desire to be big. But deep in the crevices of my heart, for me, success was if I could build it big enough that maybe 
And I've shared this with you, that maybe even Pastor Delth would think I was anointed. Maybe, maybe I could get the recognition that I thought was due my name if I could build it big enough. But God was going after that deal in my heart that was a tear that was bringing, that was killing me and not bringing me life and would have killed me if it was not dealt with. And I'm trying to deal with it. So then this leads me to another place of, of, of one of Brennan Manning's last books called The Prodigal. This is his last work. It's a fictional work that he leads. And I could not put this book down. It was like reading William P. Young's book, The Shack. You know what I'm saying? I stayed up all night one night reading The Shack until I could finish it and work the next day. The book is phenomenal. And so the prodigal was doing this. And the prodigal was the story about the celebrity Christian versus a guy that will leave it all and go to small rural America and stay planted in the soil there. Listen to me. I'm just trying to tell you what I feel like my call is. Maybe this is not fascinating to you, but I'm just trying to help you with this. So that in your Christian walk, you don't feel like you got to do everything right to be used by God, but all you have to do is live and surrender, and that's where I'm trying to get. This is the greatest secret. All you have to do is lay down in the presence of God and God will birth everything he did. He didn't, he, all he did was put Adam in the deep sleep and laid him down and pulled the bride out of him. So, so God was telling me, he said, will you get, and so finally I get a place, I said, God, I, I, I mean, I trust you, I'll give it up. How many knows if you give up your life for his, you will find life? God is not against anybody being big. Come on, somebody. But if it's not in your lane, it's just not in your lane. I'm not saying that travel, and I'm not limiting my life to Sparks, Georgia either. Come on, somebody. I'm just saying that Sparks has to be the priority of my life and what he's got, and the rest can flow from that. Are you with me now? It's like Danny when he was trying to get to Atlanta. I'm trying to get to Atlanta. I'm trying to get to Atlanta because nothing's here but cornbread, biscuits, and grits, and gnats. I'm trying to get away from this. But God said, no, son, you build it here in this, so I feel the Lord in here, and I'll cause that to come down here. Don't tell me he can't make them travel. He can plant Joseph, come on, somebody, in Egypt and put drought all around and cause them to march right to where the well and the water is. And that's what God is doing in rural areas all across this community. When we, when we were in Columbus, Ohio, um, when we were talking with Lou Engle, Lou Engle told me, he said, we have had dreams and visions of the rural south swept with massive revival. So now I started looking at the water tower different. Proud of the name on that water tower. Then I had the next puzzle. I'm sitting under the awning out back, and I'm looking at that field, and I'm weeping because all I can see is the video that they did years ago, if you've been in this church for years, and Justin's a young man standing in that field, and he reaches down and puts a plant in the dirt, and he said, all I know is we're just getting started. And I'm playing that small town, and I'm weeping. And this guy startles me, and he knocks on the window of my truck. And I look at him, and it's a heavy guy, and overalls and crocs. Well, if you in my inner world, man knows this, and I always tell him about, you know, the true apostolic guy, he's not going to be flashy dressed. He's going to be in Magellan shorts, a Magellan fishing shirt, and a pair of Crocs. Crocs is the true apostolic gear. Just telling you. 
So he got, he's got Crocs on, overalls, and a white shirt. And he looks at me and he asks me this question. He first asked me if Pastor Dale was still here. I said, no, he's been gone for several years. He said, are you the leader? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, I wanted to stop and make sure that the work was still going on. Church, there's still work to be done. I'm not moved by the 60 people. I'm not moved by 100 people. None of that changes what God said. It don't change what God said if Johnny Big Bucks walks out the back door. What I found in 20 plus years is God's got unlimited of Johnny Big Bucks to send in here or he's got a hundred widows that can walk in here and tithe on the one little mite to make up Johnny Big Bucks. God help us here. So this is what he says. He says, son, I've traveled the world. He said, but I found myself just living a simple life in this particular city. He leaves. I said, God, you don't send an angel up here, a heavy set angel in overalls and Crocs. I mean, I don't, <laughs> huh? I mean, I would, I would think the angels would be fit, you know what I'm saying? Because they come from kingdom, you know what I'm saying? But I don't know. But I said, you know, so then I just sat there under the breezeway and I just cried some more. This is my own private times of God. Nobody don't know this. And I'm just sitting there listening to the song. And so, so I wrote this. And I'm going to finish with this. I wrote this one night. Well, actually, I wrote this last week, wasn't it? The small town pastor. Just beyond the lights in the concrete jungles of mainstream city living, you can find the small town pastor. No glitz and glamour. Just kingdom men and women planted in the rich soil of destiny. These men are not shaken or moved by the current celebrity status of mainstream Christianity. Their offices are not adorned with accolades or photos of the latest Christian celebrities. Just simple men with legacy running deep in their hearts. These men have willingly chose to lay their lives down for the sake of the call and the generations coming behind them. Like most pioneers, these men are rustic, wilderness junkies. Like Isaac, they've developed a taste. They have developed a taste for wild game and today's current stream, today's current mainstream caviar will never suffice. These men are simple. They spend their days dreaming of the deposit they will leave behind the people they are called to serve. Their call is not to the masses, but the few. While others will measure success by numbers and social media likes, these men measure themselves by the errors they have been privileged to gather in their quiver. Most will never have, most will never have their names mentioned on a large stage or have a video go viral. These men are content just to be known by the small crowd that gathers under the Friday night lights. These men seem to have found the narrow road and would it trade it for anything this world has to offer. They realize they are not called to build ministries and buildings, but to raise sons and daughters. The soul of these small communities runs deep in their veins, and they have bought into the long path of transformation 
having long given up the desire to hold the trophy of some short distant run, they realize the true mark of success is not found in a conference, but a living room. Most will never receive the honor they are due, but they can rest assured heaven stands to applaud such sacrifice. Having put their hand to the plow, others would never choose, only to hear the great cloud of witnesses cheer them on, living with the conviction they are laboring for a generation that they may never see. The small-town pastor stays planted through the storms of life and never, never caves to the naysayers of his generation, saying he is wasting his time. He willingly chooses to give up his crown in this life for the one to come. These rare but chosen men are not found on social media. Many don't have websites and great ministry profiles. They're found in the secret place. They're found in, the ho in hospital rooms, little league games, nursing homes, food pantries, hallways of our schools, and anywhere the least of these will gather. These men stand in the background equipping, fathering and equipping and fathering another generation to carry the torch. The small town pastor has a true understanding of what it means to be rooted in the river of life. Long after the flame burns out of the sprinter, you will find the small town pastor steady at the helm, unnoticed by most, but the few he lays his life down for. He labors night and day until Christ be formed in the generation he's called to equip. The rock star comes and goes. He burns bright only for a moment, failing to realize that the marathon takes more than gifting to complete the race. What I feel burning in my heart today, stronger than ever, is a reset and a refocus to the simple. To this right here, bro, this song right here. I used to play this song all the time. And I, I, I just, I've, I've wept over this song all morning. But listen to this right here. It's real simple. Crank it up just a little bit. You don't need majestic choirs with awesome voices raised. You don't need a congregation to offer. me with your song you get all of my attention when you worship me alone you don't need majestic choirs with awesome voices raised Before there was ever a microphone, before there was ever a card printed, this is all I had. Father, let us be found in that place. Bethany, when I was sitting in the stands the other day and you walked by, your face always smiling. 
Your whole body's full of light. I watched you go by and, and I said, God, I want my whole body full of light like that. I want to walk with a smile. Alone. Church, I bless you today for a hunger and passion just to be alone with him. That's all it is. That's the path. That's where life is found. That's where David said, go into my heart. Take away all of these things that have cluttered. Replay that again. Take away all the things that have cluttered up my vision, my focus. Make it back simple where he cries out this one thing if I desired and one thing that I seek. And that is to dwell in the tabernacle of the Lord Most High all the days of my life. If our eye be single, our whole body be full of light. God, bring us to the place of single vision. In the mighty name of Jesus, fascinate us again, God. Long before there was ever a stage, long before there was ever lights, the guitars and all of this, when all we wanted was just to worship you. Bless me with your song. You get all of my attention when you worship me alone. You don't need majestic choirs with awesome voices. passionate about you he loves you in your greatest weakness and your failures he loves you I told him the other day I said God help me if am I ever going to be able to find my way back friend I'm telling you you're going to find your way back look at David's cry in Psalms 51 he said restore to me my passion for life my passion for life God, Father, we've been through the storms. We've been through disappointments. We've been through all kinds of things, but I'm asking for the restoration of passion. Restoration of passion for life. Help me to forgive those that have done me wrong and restore passion back into my heart. In the mighty name of Jesus, we love you with our whole heart, Father. We're so thankful for your goodness, and we love you with everything. In Jesus' mighty name, will you give God a great God bless you, friend. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you on the live stream Wednesday night. See you here Sunday morning. We hope you enjoyed our message of the week. Thanks for joining us. Our passion at Cornerstone is our family atmosphere built on deep relationships. We want to connect with you. Please take a moment and download our app and connect with us on social media to stay updated with all things Cornerstone. We pray you have a wonderful week.